G'day, and thanks for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. We are currently in a series called The Fellowship of the Gospel, and we are focused on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we hope that this is an encouragement to you and that you're able to apply these words to your life. God bless you. When I was 19, I was living in uh, Morphavale, and decided I was going to follow in my dad's footsteps and start playing footy for the mighty McLaren Eagles. And um, I wanted to play A grade, and it was a season where I played mainly A grade, but a bit of B grade. Uh, And this one particular game where for the first time in my life, I was playing footy against my first cousin, whose name is Ashley. And he was playing for Kangarilla, and I was playing for McLaren. We were both playing in the A grade, uh, and we both started on the bench. Uh, and there we were, you know, hoping to have a chance just to work out who the, you know, the better cousin was and settle it once and for all. Uh, and then, yeah, so the uh, first quarter came and went and I found myself on the bench uh, for the entire first quarter. I was like, that's all right. It's just the first quarter, chin up Shane, second quarter's coming. It's going to be fine. So we went out, had the uh, huddle, quarter time, uh, come back on and I have a look and no, all right. Starting on the bench for the start of the second quarter. That's okay. I'm just going to, you know, do my warming up near the coach, make sure that he's very aware that um, I'm ready to go. As soon as he needs me, I'm going to be on that field and it's going to be fantastic. Uh, but yeah, second quarter came and went and uh, half time arrives. I haven't seen a single second of playing time. Uh, managed to get out past the boundary line for the huddle, but that is all so far. Uh, so third quarter, same again. Uh, the entire third quarter, just sitting on the bench, waiting for my turn, except those moments when I get up to, you know, limber up and get in the coach's face a little bit. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so three-quarter time, look at the whiteboard to see where I am playing, and, yep, I'm on the bench again. Uh, and then during the fourth quarter, it finally happened. Rainer gets called. And there he goes. My cousin Ashley runs on the field for the first time for Kangarilla, and I was still sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter for the entire game. I literally sat on the bench for the entire game of footy, not a single second of action. And it wasn't even the first time that happened to me. So I, when I was playing for Wirreanda High School, my a second game, second and final game, you know, we went to another school to take them on. I sat on the bench for the entire game, not a second of playing time. But something that's hit me lately is the reality that God doesn't have a bench. How good. We would never find ourselves sitting on the bench with nothing to do. It is true that there will be people who won't acknowledge the amazing things that we have to offer at times. Like I had amazing things to offer. If only I had been put onto that field and could actually put them into practice. But God is never unaware of what we have to bring. He doesn't have a bench. We'll never find ourselves on that out with him, but we actually have a contribution to make, every single one of us. We are part of his family, his team, and um, that is an amazing privilege. And we're about to celebrate communion together. And as we do that, I want to have a look at a scripture from 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is what we'll read from in a minute. Um, Very famous passage, uh, including the words of Jesus that he spoke when he had that last supper with his disciples. But just in the lead up to that, he says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. So the basic idea of that is that there is one loaf, and that loaf is divided amongst all the people that are there, and they all partake of the same loaf. They all take that inside of them, and so that they who are many become one through sharing the same sustenance. And it's true of the body, it's true of the blood. For all of us, it's the same source, it is Jesus. It is his blood, it is his body that is shared for us. And the the symbolism for us today, the crackers that are all from the same packet, the Ribena that's from the same bottle, we participate in something that brings us together. It is so easy for us to feel distant from one another. It's so easy for us to be just focused on ourselves. But we're actually called into something that's so much deeper than that. We are a part of his family. And even more intense than being a part of his family is that we're a part of his body. Like it doesn't get any closer than that. And it's not, certainly for me, I'm, I'm glad I have all the parts of the body that God gave me. Like there's times that my elbow is hurt, but I'm glad it's there. I'm really grateful that it works. And for us, we all have a role to play. And the more that we understand God and his goodness, the more I think that we're freed up to play that role that we play. A couple of years ago, we made a bit of a change to our structure and how we do our our Sundays. And for the first 18 months or so, every Sunday we would do small groups and then we would have a meal together and then we'd finish with a a service of worship. And just with different things that were going on, like our our team was actually shrinking at that point and there was more responsibility on less people and we decided it was time just to step things back a little bit. Um, And one thing that we considered was, do we continue to do the shared meal together? And one of the reasons why we decided it was a bit of a no-brainer to continue doing the shared meal is that that is something that everyone contributes to. Everyone is bringing food to contribute. Please, this is not a guilt trip in case you didn't bring anything tonight. Um, but people bring stuff and that everyone participating, everyone joining in is what makes the mealtime work so well. And it's what makes church work so well when we all come and participate we all come and bring what we have to bring it's an absolute game changer and we want it to be not just true of what we do when we go out there into the hall we want it to be true of what we do in here and in a much bigger sense what we do throughout the week as the church that we all contribute we all have a role to play and as we hold back the gifts that we have to bring everyone loses We're at our best when we're all participating. We're all contributing. On the night 
that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and why many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. It's a serious thing as we gather together and as we participate in this. And yeah, let's come expectant that God is here. Let's come reverent. You know, he is holy, he is good, and he is here. And let's receive from him. This is his provision for us. And we get to share in this together. So what I want to invite you to do is to stand to your feet. And we're actually going to say a prayer over each other. And so we're going to do this with um, prayer in unison. So we'll pray at the same time. And just whoever comes to mind, just say a blessing over others that are here that we would receive what God has for us today. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your provision for us. I want to thank you that you have included us in your blessing, but also in this responsibility that we would be a part of what you are doing here today in this gathering, but also more broadly than that in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities. I pray, Lord, that as we do receive the elements, that we would be reminded that we are ultimately sustained by you, by your body and by your blood, that your very presence is here with us, and we are commissioned by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you as you're ready to come up. I invite the worship team to to perhaps come first even, and then you can lead us um, in just a moment. So as you come up, um, take the the cracker and the, the drink, and then you can head back to your seat and eat and drink as you are ready. It's a really contested truth that he loves us. It's contested for each one of us. And there's different times where I think it's easier for us to accept that and to believe it. And there's different times where it's, it's a real challenge. But my prayer for all of us is that we will just have revelation of his love for us. We're singing about it. And it's so important that it is, oh, how he loves me. 
but also oh how he loves us like that joint thing to believe it for ourselves personally but also to believe it for those around us and just a beautiful prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that starts with our father and how that's so inclusive of one another it's not my father it's our father but it's Jesus who taught us to pray and so he's including us in the relationship that he has with his father and yeah for mine to doubt I I don't doubt that the father loves Jesus <laughs> and if Jesus includes us in that the father has include us, included us in that we shouldn't doubt we don't need to doubt that his love is for us in the same way that his love is for his son his perfect son who gave everything for us oh how he loves us father i pray that we would have revelation of that again right here right now oh how you love us like you went to incredible lengths to demonstrate that love to us and we acknowledge that it's a contested truth we acknowledge that there are things that have made it challenging for us to believe it i pray for a clarity now that we can receive it we can believe it we can walk in it oh the freedom of knowing your love hallelujah amen Chapter 3 of Philippians is what we're looking at at the moment. I encourage you to grab a Bible. Um, what did you call it yesterday, Lockie? The backlit version is totally fine. Um, you can use your phone or something else. You can use, we've got some copies down here. Uh, but just encourage you to, to grab the scriptures. And we're going to open to Philippians chapter 3. And the very start of Philippians 3, we're looking at it uh, a couple of weeks ago now. But has this... Um, instruction that we are to rejoice in the Lord and I think it's easy to rejoice in the Lord when we know that he loves us and we're confident of his love and the more that I rejoice in the Lord the more joy I find in other things like I'm more free to find joy in my kids when I'm rejoicing in the Lord I'm more free to actually enjoy the food that I eat as I rejoice in the Lord. I'm not making the meal that's in front of me um, the center of my universe and this better make me feel happy. But it's like I am complete and content in Him and another gift of His that I get to enjoy right now and participate in. Um, yeah, let us rejoice in the Lord in all things. We are looking at verse 12, and I have a task for everyone to do. So whether you are young, whether you are old, I want you to grab a Bible. Um, if you could put Charlotte up on the, the screen, the first slide, and your challenge is, what is it? It's nice and orange on that slide, the word it, what is it? So let's read the verse, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. 
I mentioned before that no one's on the bench. Like everyone has a role to play. And that includes when it comes to the scriptures. Like it is not just for the person with the microphone to interpret scriptures for everybody else. It is the Holy Spirit who does it. And he does it in and through each one of us. And I encourage you to have a look at this passage. And I want you to consider those two questions that are on the screen. So what is the it that Paul is referring to? And Paul's talking about this in the first person. So it's quite a passionate statement. Haven't already reached the goal, not already perfect, but I make every effort, every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. We keep reading. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So I encourage you, based on this passage, feel free to read back a little bit and forward a little bit from what we just read there in order to work out what is it. And also, is this just a thing for Paul? Was it unique to him that he had this attitude? Or is he expecting, even though he's talking about it in the first person, is he expecting that this is the same attitude that we would have? So what is it? And should we be as excited about it, as focused on whatever it is, as what Paul was. So in twos and threes, have a chat, go. All right, I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are. So what is it? Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, so Laura's just saying, going back to verse 10, so a couple of verses earlier, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So Laura's saying that it is referring back to that goal because it says here, not that I've already reached the goal and he's just talked about his goal two verses earlier. So yeah, that makes sense. So that's using the context and looking back, finding words um, that are repeated. But it's not the only answer. So my goal is to know him is a really good thing, obviously, and it's in context. But is there anything else that you would find by looking at this? Yeah, so knowing him and perfection. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Again, using the context. The context is just in that one verse as well. Are there any other places where it talks about a goal within a couple of verses of here? Yeah, I see that hand. Go, Em. Yeah. Yeah. A righteousness not of my own that is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Yeah. And then verse 14 has, has just been called out. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. 
yet making every effort to take hold of knowing him, faith, perfection, God's heavenly calling, Christ Jesus. There's a, a few things in there. Are they opposed to each other? I don't think so. I think they all help us to understand what it is better. If I was to summarize, it probably would be um, with what Laura said, like it's knowing him because the more that we see him, the more we become like him. And that's the more that we know him. So we are going to increase in our, um, our display of righteousness. We can't become more righteous than what he makes us but the way that we live that out is going to be more evident and more obviously um, living righteous. So what about the second part, the second question there? So if the first part we're saying, all right, so this is it. Who's it for? Who's the expectation on? And why do you say that? Is it just for Paul or are we included? He does. It's like two verses in a row. So he does say to imitate him. What else does he say that would indicate that we should be thinking the same way? (laughs) Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. This is a confident statement. The next one. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. (laughs) But, like, if you just had that in isolation, it sounds so arrogant. It's like, this is the way that it is. And if you think differently on this, God will make it clear to you. Don't worry about it. He'll back me up because I'm right. And if you think differently, you are wrong. But what's he talking about in this? Like what he's really saying, he's been talking about knowing Christ. His goal is to know him. But he's just been saying, I'm not there yet. I haven't reached the fullness yet. But I'm going to forget about what's behind. Even though in Paul's case, it's a couple of decades of living very faithful to Jesus and seeing multitudes come to know Jesus. He, I mean, we can read in 2 Corinthians about the massive list of sufferings that he endured the times that he was shipwrecked, the times that he received 39 lashes. Can you imagine even receiving one lash? He received 39 lashes as well as being beaten by rods. You know, he had an incredible list of suffering and he's just saying, I forget what's behind and I press on towards what is ahead or I reach out towards what is ahead. So he's not just saying this is my theory of what I think about how salvation works, he's talking about this is my attitude that regardless of what's behind, regardless of what I've done, what is to my credit, I am pursuing knowing him. I want to reflect him more accurately. I want to know him better. And he's saying all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, that we forget about what's behind and we press on toward what is ahead. And I at least sounds less arrogant in that context because he's not putting himself up as the one who has all the answers, but one who has an attitude that says, I want to know him more. I want to reflect him more accurately. And I absolutely agree that this is something that we are all 
to share in. And it's such an important thing that we don't just settle for what we've experienced in the past. And I don't talk about circumcision that often. Um, makes people, you know, weird, weirded out and uncomfortable. But circumcision was one of those things that Paul's addressing. So we talked about the last couple of weeks and there's the Judaizers and they are saying that it, yes, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that saves us, but if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to convert to Judaism first. And that includes the 613 laws that you'll find in the Old Testament. Got to follow those. But one that everything seemed to ride on in practice was circumcision. And so as long as you got the chop, then you're in. And it is just a one-time thing that once that's done, then you're completely set. And Paul is not in this case arguing directly against circumcision, but he's arguing against that type of thinking that says, because of something that I've done, and this is where the sinner's prayer has led a lot of people astray, because they think at some point in their life, because they went forward, they felt something, they went forward in a church service, they prayed a prayer, because they did that, therefore they are saved. Therefore, they've got a ticket to heaven and they're all sorted. There's other things that are optional that might be helpful, but really that's, that's the main thing. And that's not, there's nothing that would indicate that in the Scriptures. Like you've got to really twist some Scriptures in order to have to back that up. Like if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, like we are told that, but it's not talking about a one-time occurrence where we say the right words. And if we believe it in our heart and we're willing to confess it before other people, it is demonstrating that we actually believe it. It's not just the words. It's not just a feeling. But it is actual belief that results in us being willing to speak it out in front of others. And it's not a one moment in time type thing. It's that position of the heart. It's a continual thing. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. It's a pretty sober, like I read, I didn't comment on it, but reading that passage that I read before we had communion is a pretty sobering passage. There's a warning in there, or warnings in there. And as we get to Revelation, as I just said, like those who persevere to the end will be saved. It's not about going down the front and praying a prayer. It's about a radical reorientation of our lives, that we actually live different. And it doesn't start with us. It started with him. And we looked at those twin parables of the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field a couple of weeks ago. And they are interpreted two different ways, and I believe both are really helpful. So one is that we find the treasure... And we go in our joy and we sell everything in order to buy the field. But that's what Jesus did. And we are that treasure. Where he gave up everything in order to have us. We are the pearl of great price. He's the merchant that saw us and went, I will pay anything in order to have you. And it's reciprocated. When we actually understand who he is and what he's done and what it means for us, it is the most natural thing in the world that we would respond in kind. 
and that we would sacrifice other things, but it doesn't feel like sacrifice. As you read those two parables, it was in his joy that he went and sold everything that he might buy the field. And that's the implication of the merchant who is in search of fine pearls, finds one that is priceless and sells everything in order to have that pearl. So he has done that for us and it is appropriate we do it for him. But it's not this thing of like, oh, I've just got to work that up in myself. And we've talked about it before, but those sailors, you know, that clear the ship in order that it doesn't sink in the storm, who regret all the things that they threw overboard that they now no longer have. We are called to actually get rid of things in our joy and not experience that regret of like, I get Jesus is what our focus is. I get to have him, I get to know him, I get to walk with him. And those other things are just trivial in comparison, like nothing compares to him. I want to read through the next bit of of this passage um, and just comment on a couple of things. So verse 15, as we've already read, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. So maturity will be expressed in us realizing that we haven't arrived. Maturity will be something that um, is shown in us by our diligence in continuing to seek him and to know him more and to reflect him more accurately. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. We are to put it into practice. And the things that we've started doing, keep doing. When it comes to the faith, when it comes to actually putting um, things into practice, let's keep going. Verse 17, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. We have examples. So Paul was an example, but he wasn't just saying, look at me and me only. No one else has got this. I've got it covered. Just focus on me. He's like, pay careful attention to the others that are also following this pattern of life. We have examples, and we are to follow those who are following Christ. And not only are we to follow those that are following Christ, but we are to be the people who say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. Because it is so much easier to follow someone that you can see. And if you see someone who is doing the right thing, it stirs you up. It encourages you. It challenges you. So let's look for those examples, but also be those examples to others. And here is his warning. Here is what we can slip into so easily in terms of distraction. Verse 18, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This is pretty condemning, the next bit. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. So it's a reality that, yes, we have godly examples, but we also have ungodly examples. And it's not just those in the church are providing the godly example and those outside are providing ungodly examples. We will see both wherever we go. It is possible that we will see both wherever we go. And 
it is so easy to just get stuck in the pattern of this world and just follow what most people are doing. We're pretty familiar with the wide gate and the narrow gate and there are many that are on this path to destruction. That God is their stomach. What does that mean? It means they respond to what they want. I feel like I need it, so I'm going to go and get it. Their glory is in their shame. They're actually proud of the things they should be ashamed of. How much do we see that in the world around us? It's anti-gospel. It's the opposite to what we are called to, to live like. And we will adopt things if we are not careful, if we are not diligent in saying no to things. And ultimately, it's the big yes. Ultimately, it's focusing on Jesus and the other stuff doesn't have appeal. You know, but we take our eyes off Jesus and we start looking at things around us and we become like what we see around us. And it's a warning. Let's not do it. Let's not get sucked in. Here's the, the transition point. They focus on earthly things and then verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. He is powerful and powerful enough to take this and make it amazing. He can take us as we are and transform us into indestructible ones that will live forever. Imagine being indestructible. It's coming. We wait on him to bring that to pass. Yeah, there's some value in working out and doing those things. But in terms of this stuff, we wait on him. He's the only one that can actually make it happen. And then the final verse, I'm just like straddling a chapter. I know that messes with your head, but chapter 4, verse 1. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, loved and longed for. Receive that. You're loved and you are longed for. You are wanted. You have a place. My joy and crown. Doesn't sound like obligation to me. Like, oh, so frustrated with you guys. Just get it together. Loved, longed for, my joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. If you take this as a chunk in isolation from chapter 3, verse 1, it starts with rejoice in the Lord and it ends with stand firm in the Lord. But the rejoice in the Lord is an instruction. We are to rejoice in the Lord. Whereas chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that we will stand firm in the Lord as we do the things that he's just been describing, as we seek to know him more, follow him more accurately. I've got some more questions that I'd love for you to discuss over dinner. Um, but I'm going to pray and we're going to put up some, I'm not going to put up, we're going to sing some more. Um, so, yeah, I just encourage you, let's have an expectancy right here, right now. Let's have an expectancy that we are loved and we will experience his love right here, right now, and we will be able to demonstrate his love right here, right now.
So, Father, we want to thank you for what you have done, for what you have established so that we are your kids. And I pray that that would resonate more. It would hit home more. We would be more aware of your presence. And I ask, Lord, for each of us that we would receive your love, that we would have a determination to know you more, that we would have a determination to become more mature, dare I say perfect. I pray that right now as we sing to you, as we lift our eyes to you once again, I pray that we'd see you clearly and the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. As you are ready, I just invite you to stand to your feet. Let's worship Him.